From the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, this is Better Off, a podcast about the biggest public health problems we face today. It's such a pity that folk had to lose their lives for us to give attention to what should be our birthright. And the people innovating to create public health solutions. History should not just be about the good things that happened in the past. It has to be about all the things that happened in the past. I'm your host, Anna Fisher-Pinkert. We've been on a little break the last few weeks, but don't worry, new episodes of Better Off are coming soon. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to focus on Juneteenth, which was celebrated as a federal holiday for the first time this year. Now, this may seem like a departure for a podcast about public health, but as we discussed in our last episode with Mary Bassett, it's impossible to understand health disparities in the U.S. if we don't understand the history of racism and how it impacts Americans' lives. Today's conversation was recorded on June 16, one day before President Biden signed a bill making Juneteenth, which commemorates the emancipation of slaves in the U.S., the 12th federal holiday. And you'll hear from three remarkable women— Evelyn Hammonds is the moderator of this conversation. She's the Barbara Gutman Rosencrantz Professor of the History of Science and Professor of African and African American Studies at Harvard University. Professor Hammonds is joined by two guests who have roots in Texas, the state where Juneteenth celebrations originated. Annette Gordon-Reed is the Carl M. Loeb University Professor at Harvard and author of the book On Juneteenth. And Miss Opal Lee is a teacher and activist who has been instrumental in the fight to make Juneteenth a national holiday. She's often called the grandmother of Juneteenth. The first voice you'll hear is Evelyn Hammonds speaking to Miss Opal. Miss Opal, for those of us who still don't have a, a really kind of uh, intimate familiarity with Juneteenth, can you talk a little bit about the holiday and how it came to be and certainly how it came for you to be a part of it? Well, I think lots of people are aware now that a General Gordon Granger made his way to Galveston with some 7,000 colored troops. They were from Illinois and New York. Mm -hmm. And he had and read General Order Number 3 that said that all the slaves were free. He even nailed that General Order to the door of what's now Reedy Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church. And when the enslaved came in from work and somebody read that to them, we started celebrating and we've been (laughs) celebrating ever since. (laughs) Now for me, in Marshall, Texas, we go to the fairground. Uh There'd be ball games, food. There'd be music and food. (laughs) there'd be friends and family and food (laughs) oh what a time we had Annette in your book you write very personally about your own experiences growing up in Texas and what makes the state's history so unique and you wrote quote the things that happened there couldn't have happened in other places Non-Texans could never really understand what the events that took place in Texas actually meant. And so tell us what you meant about that. Well, I was I was talking about, in some ways, Texas's own outsized sense of itself, <laughs> our chauvinism <laughs> about being Texans. And that's how I felt, that we, we were raised to think that we were special 
and that special things happened in this particular place and other places didn't have all that. Now that's, you know, every place has, now that I'm grown, I realize um, that every place has its own history, its own stories and so forth. But I mean, it, it is different and very much American. One of the other things I say in the book is that, you know, Texas has all of the sort of major currents of American history going through it, Western expansion, uh, the conflict between indigenous people and Europeans, mm-hmm. plantation slavery, Jim Crow after that, it borders a, uh, a, a foreign country, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so immigration is an issue and the Latino Anglo and Latino, you know, other and others and in indigenous conflict, all of it in that one place. This is a state that didn't have to become diverse. Mm-hmm. It began that way. Mm-hmm. It starts out that way. And yet, I think when most people think about Texas, from what I may have been able to gather, they think of white people. Yes. They think of a white man. That's what I say. Texas is constructed as a white man. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for people like me, you know, Miss Miss Lee, me and others who are not white men? Uh, But we're Texans and my family, parts of it have been there since the 1820s. People think of it as the cowboy, even though, you know, there were black cowboys, obviously. But Hollywood's version of the cowboy, a white man or an oil man, both white. And that 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 image of Texas is out there. But it's a very diverse, very complicated place. Miss Lee. Um, Miss Opal, I should say, um, you you also grew up in Texas. You grew up celebrating Juneteenth with your family every year, and especially the food. So tell <laughs> us more about what it was like. I mean, um, what are can you give us one uh, very vivid memory you have about the celebrations? People sort of celebrated together, you know, their families and that sort of thing. I had a mentor, Lenora Rolla. And she started the Tarrant County Black Historical and Genealogical Society. Mm-hmm. And that group's responsible for the Juneteenth celebration. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, we had a celebration to die for. <laughs> it was in a tiny little park called Sycamore Park. We had 30,000 people. The oh, paper, my goodness. The paper said in a three-day period, 10,000 people a day. Oh, but did we have fun. The park's supposed to close at 10, and all they did was to pull the plug that turned the lights off. (laughs) That meant we were supposed to go home. Why did I get on a flatbed truck and put that plug back in and (laughs) party till dawn? (laughs) Um, Annette, um, yeah, you know, Juneteenth kind of remains for, for many people a kind of complicated holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think it remains uh, complicated? Well, I think it's complicated because we know what happened, right? I mean, that's the thing about history and historians we, and, and people looking back on history. We understand, we know the road ahead. So I think what people do is look back and say, well, you know, it was still hard after that. We know that after a brief moment through Reconstruction, the redeeming uh, white governments brought in Jim Crow and tried to bring things back near as near to slavery as they could get it. Mm -hmm. Slavery was a system of social control. And once that legal basis for that kind of control was gone, they tried to find other ways to do that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're we're almost successful, pretty successful Mm -hmm. debt peonage. 
voter restrictions, all those kinds of things. So there's a bit of, we don't want, I mean, I think there's a tendency, we don't want people to run away with this idea that everything was okay. We know it wasn't. My father, who could be quite sarcastic, Mm -hmm. uh, would say, you know, the slaves haven't been freed. And, you know, during (laughs) Juneteenth things, because what he meant was we still have a a way to go with all of this. But he, I mean, he knew he wasn't being, you know, made to work sun up to sundown, you know, for somebody else's. I mean, he understood or being sold. I wasn't sold away from him, those kinds of things. But what he really meant was that there's your celebration, but always with this eye towards the future and a continued struggle. So that's, I think that's the complication. People don't, even yesterday uh, when they, when they made this announcement and every, it became you know really well known, I saw in my Twitter feed, people sort of not poo-pooing it, but saying, well, you know, what about reparations? What about this? What about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about voting rights? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure, they could do that unanimously for this holiday, but voting rights, those are two separate things, right? I mean, they're they're linked in terms of history, but in terms of the political calculations, you should never think that the people who voted for this would necessarily vote for the other thing. But that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you can't celebrate and be happy about this particular thing that happened and, you know, that it has its own valence, its own importance. So, Ms. Opal, I, I want to ask you, uh, what what drove you to make um, your life's work uh, be about uh, helping to make Juneteenth a national holiday? Oh, I think I was about 89 and I got to fishing <laughs> and thinking I hadn't done enough. I made up my mind that I was going to do something come hell or high water. Mm. And what I decided was that I would walk from Fort Worth to Washington, D.C. And I felt like if a little old lady in tennis shoes was walking to D.C., somebody would take notice. (laughs) I got myself, my minister, the church musicians, a county commissioner, school board member, and several, we all gathered at my church, and they gave me the send-off, and I walked two and a half miles. The next morning, I get up and I start where I left off, two and a half more miles. I was actually going to do the 1,400 miles. Wow. So if I started September 2016, I actually got to Washington January 2017. We had asked President Obama to walk with us, Mm -hmm. but he was in Chicago. Oh, goodness. I didn't get what I wanted. Mm. And I said, I'd keep on walking and I'll keep on talking to Juneteenth's made a national holiday. Oh, gosh, it's such an inspiring story. And your quest to make Juneteenth a national holiday has really made you a star in your own right. And I don't want people to think Juneteenth is just one day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is too much uh, educational components. We have too much to do. I even advocate that we do Juneteenth, that we celebrate freedom from the 19th of June to the 4th of July. Because mm-hmm. we weren't free on yeah. the 4th of July, 1776. Mm-hmm. That would be celebrating freedom. You understand? Mm-hmm. If we were able to do that. Did the Black Lives Matter movement have any impact on you in, in terms of thinking about, say, this last point about celebrating freedom from, say, June 19th to July 4th? Is that... 
Is that something that has played a part in your thinking about this this holiday and a national and it being a national holiday? Yes. In fact, if I was younger, I'd have been right out there with those young people. Mm-hmm. You know, we have surges. Dr. King brought us forward. The March on Washington brought us forward. Black Lives Matter is doing its part to bring us forward. Yes, any of the groups, nothing has ever been given to us. We've had to push for everything we get. And I admire those young people. It's such a pity that folk had to lose their lives mm-hmm. for us to give attention to what should be our birthright. And I want to turn to you on a slightly different topic. And you've already said we might we need to separate these topics. But um, given everything that's uh, happening in Texas right now, especially around voter suppression, uh, and that Tuesday, uh, Governor Abbott signed a bill into law aimed at stopping teachers from talking about racism and any current events that may be contentious, meaning I think they don't want uh, teachers to uh, make certain topics part of a, a course uh, that someone could be could claim to be uh, being discriminated against or receiving uh, adverse treatment solely or partly because of the individual's race. What are your th- I think I know what your thoughts about that, but go ahead and, and, and tell us a little bit about your reaction to, to some of this. Well, you know, it's I think it's a reaction to uh, the fact that there, ha- there have been changes in the things that teachers talk about from the t- times that I was in school. Certainly they've done a much better job of talking about uh, the truth of history of American history and race is a part of that. It's an inevitable part of it. If you read the Constitution of the Republic of Texas, which I presumably think they want people to read, it's shot through with references to race uh, Mm -hmm. and support of slavery and Black people can't become citizens and all of that. So the the main effect I I fear will be chilling. I mean, there will obviously teachers, there are a lot of rebellious and maverick teachers out there who are going to find a way uh, to talk about these things, the things they've been talking about, and they're going to go forward with it. But it might chill some people uh, who Mm -hmm. will just say, nah, it's too risky. I'm not going to get involved with it. But, you know, Texas has a lot is going on in Texas right now. They have a real problem with that grid. Right. And to talk about, I mean, people died in the last, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the last disasters, the winter disaster. Who knows what's going to happen? Because you cannot you cannot be in Texas in the houses the way they've been built mm-hmm. that are basically ovens. Mm-hmm. You have to, if an air conditioner goes out, I mean, that, that has to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but focusing on this stuff mm-hmm. instead of some real, I think they're distractions in a way. Right. Uh, and it is unfortunate uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, t- education is so important. History should not just be about the good things that happened. In the past, it has to be about all the things that happened in the past. And, you know, kids need to learn how to to think critically and to fight back and to and to engage in debate and arguments. You have to have these ideas presented. There are serious problems to deal with in Houston Mm -hmm. and in not just Houston, but in Texas all over. And they're going to have to get to that because, you know, when this business about the weather and climate change and and uh, the grid. They're going to have to solve that. So, but I do think it's a distraction from really serious issues that they should be attending to. 
And Ms. Opal, what's your response to some of the these activities going on in Texas, the, the uh, crisis, uh, the, the issues being raised about what to teach in schools and voter suppression and the other things that Annette just responded to? We are going to soldier on. We're not going to let those kinds of things stop us mm-hmm. from getting over to our children what they need to know. Mm-hmm. Our libraries are going to carry books. Our churches are going to fill in. We're simply not going to let that stop. And they got enough problems not to be able to uh, police us about what we're doing in the schools, you see. Mm-hmm. So we'll do what we've been doing, <laughs> pushing and carrying on and getting things to our young people that they need to know. I know it's a distraction, but we've had distractions before. Well, this is true. This is true. We will survive. Are you feeling hopeful, Miss Opal? I don't know if hopeful is the word. Mm-hmm. I'm ecstatic that mm-hmm. things are going to change. I'm so sure we've inched along and made some progress, but surely, surely what's happening now is going to move us in a direction where we can all say that we're brothers and sisters. And I know it's going to take time. But I still say we should make ourselves a committee of one. (laughs) We know people who are not on the same page with us, and it's up to us to change their mind. (laughs) People can be taught to hate. They can be taught to love. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I really believe if each one of us teaches one of us, we're going to make it. And I hope people don't think there's pie in the sky. We've got to use the weapons that we have. So, Ms. Opal, do you have some last words uh, for our students and the youth who are listening to us um, today? I'm wanting these young people to know that they are our future, that they have got to continue what many of them are doing. They need to know that nothing is given to us. We have to continue to ask for, barter for, and get what we need the best way we can. I do not condone violence, but I'm saying they can take us much further than we've come already. And it's left to them. We're dependent on them Mm -hmm. to get us to the finish line. On June 17th, Ms. Opal Lee was in attendance at the White House as President Biden signed the bill that made Juneteenth a federal holiday. Biden called Ms. Opal an incredible woman. On June 18th, Juneteenth was observed as a federal holiday for the first time. And on June 19th, Ms. Opal was back in Fort Worth leading a celebratory Juneteenth caravan down Commerce Street. She said that walk would be a joy. To watch the full conversation between Professor Hammonds, Professor Gordon-Reed, and Miss Opal Lee, visit hsph.me slash opal lee. That's hsph.me slash opal lee. That's all for this week. Subscribe to Better Off in your favorite podcast app 
And if you like the show so far, rate and review us and tell your friends about the podcast too. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at HarvardChanSPH. We're better off with our team, Chief Communications Officer Todd Datz, Senior Digital Designer Ben Wallace, and Production Assistant Brian Lee. Our editor for this episode was Mary Dew. I'm Anna Fisher-Pinkert, host and producer of Better Off, a podcast of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health.